Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So we've never really made any apologies for the fact that we're kind of a pro-Georgia show. I'm a Georgia fan. Uh, We always say we're the daily podcast for Georgia uh, football fans. Uh, Bulldogs fans this is kind of a fan oriented conversation I just think it's fun that way we're not trying to cure cancer here we're just trying to have fun and talk about college football and that's just generally speaking the 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 mindset with which we approach the show however because of that I, I guess there's a part of me that also wants to be a little bit aware of my potential blind spots, a little bit self-aware when it comes to, you know, moments in which I might be letting my so-called red and black colored glasses affect the way in which I view something. And I think one of the most common things that some fans do related to this, and I hope that I don't do this because I don't want to be, you know, just a, a common cliche. I, I want to sort of hopefully stand out from the crowd at least a little bit more than that. But one of the most, I think, sort of, uh, you know, sort of repetitive things that some fans do related to to their fan behavior is there's this tendency to think that everybody's out to get you and there's this tendency to think that all of the media kind of outside the bubble of your own fan base in our case dog nation here there's a tendency to think that everybody just sort of hates your team and like if you sort of google and or social media search things like that huge pockets of almost every fan base that have these really detailed reasons why espn hates their favorite team and why ESPN has been biased against their favorite team forever you know this is one of those things where like play-by-play announcers that kind of work at the national level they going back to the days when you had to like get handwritten letters and then it was emails now it's social media messages you'll get messages say why are you always biased in favor of this team or why are you always biased in favor of the exact opposite team that's playing the other team that's just kind of one of those things that goes on so I don't necessarily want to do that as it relates to Georgia football but it's hard not to notice, and I don't think this is anything sort of intentionally out to get you, GA. I just think it's one of those things where everybody sort of needs fodder for hot takes, and Georgia just happens to be, as the reigning national champion, easy fodder for all of that. But I just think it's really interesting the the way in which that, um, that it, it seems like all of a sudden everybody who sort of works, whether it be for the SEC Network or, um, or ESPN or, or whatever else, all of a sudden seems to think that um, that Georgia's just going to go out and lose a bunch of games this year. There's been just lots of predictions that Georgia might go out there and be surprised by this team or so-and-so is going to sneak up on them or whatever else. And I want to give you the latest example of this. Now, Michael, if you don't mind, I want to go slightly out of order here because I want to play a Kirby Smart clip in a moment. But look, can we hear, if you don't mind, this is Trevor Maddich from, I guess, ESPN's College Football Live. Trevor's been an analyst there for a long time. And apparently Trevor Maddich thinks that Oregon is like the best team in the country for the upcoming season. Not only does he pick them to win uh, their own league, but he also gives a warning to UGA about the first game of the season. Maddich kind of becoming the latest and example of a whole bunch of folks who just apparently think that Georgia is going to fall apart one year after winning the national championship. This is Trevor Maddich from ESPN, I believe, yesterday. I think Oregon wins the back 12 I think you can make a good case. For USC, like you said, Harry, you can make a good case for Utah. But Oregon is their year. They are as strong a team on both sides of the line of scrimmage as you'll find in college football. They've got a lot of young, outstanding playmakers at running back and at wide receiver. And the defense has maybe the best pair of linebackers in all of college football, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. It'll come down to the quarterback position. We think it's going to be Bo Nix 
It, it may not. He's under competition from a couple of young guys. But if the quarterback position can step up, this Oregon team is a bigger threat to Georgia than a lot of those Georgia football players really realize right now. So, listen, I'm about to be unfair here for a moment because I talk a lot, uh, all of it unscripted. And when you're sort of speaking off the cuff for a long period of time, we're all guilty of saying some dumb things. I know I say dumb things from time to time, and many of you are good enough to call me out on it when I do. But Trevor Manich is really getting ahead of himself, I believe, when he says that Oregon, what does he say, as strong a team on both sides of the ball as exists in the country. I think at that point in time, we may be exaggerating just a little too much in favor of a Ducks team that he thinks wins the Pac-12. Now, there is something he says that I believe is really true. And this is something that, and this is in, in all seriousness, something you should be paying close attention to. It is not obvious that Bo Nix is going to be the starting quarterback for Oregon here this season, nor is it obvious that he's going to be the only quarterback that plays against Georgia there week one. I would keep my eye on Ty Thompson a little bit out there. That's a guy that's earned some buzz here over the course of the offseason, over the course of the summer. Uh, Nick's obviously transferred up there. That's a guy that SEC fans know really well. He's faced Georgia three times before. He's lost all three, barely scored really any points of consequence in any of those previous games. And it's been kind of assumed by many, well, he's obviously just going to be Oregon starting quarterback here for this upcoming season. I wouldn't count Ty Thompson out of that competition as of yet. So that's at least a factual point that Maddich brings up that I think is certainly worth considering. But this idea that somehow Oregon is going to sneak up on UGA to begin the upcoming year, y'all, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, like nobody sneaks up on Georgia. Georgia doesn't get snuck up on because Georgia, and this is to the credit of Kirby Smart and the coaches that he uh, employs and the players that play underneath them, they play and operate day-to-day with such an extraordinary intensity that the idea they would ever be kind of lackadaisical and not paying attention to what's going on, that's just not really what Georgia's track record has been, which is not to say it's a perfect football team. It's not to say that that they haven't lost games. They lost a game even last year along the way to winning a national championship. This is not to say that Georgia is a program without blemishes. This is a program without imperfections. That's not what I'm saying here. But when Georgia loses a game, it's not because, ah, they just weren't trying. They just weren't caring. They were decided to take that Saturday off. They decided to coast and assume that there was no reason for, the, for them to be concerned. I mean, I don't know that anybody who watches UGA closely can think of very many examples when that's true. So in the case of Manich here, this just sort of sounds like wishful thinking, not wishful because he hates UGA, but wishful because he's trying to think of something interesting to say, some sort of justifiable cause to 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 justify a hot take here and I frankly don't think he brings the evidence to the table that he thinks he does if he says that Oregon beats um uh, uh UGA because Georgia's not paying attention the fact of the matter is that's just not what Georgia does in the case of Oregon we do already know that Georgia's paying pretty close attention to the Ducks because when Kirby Smart was at SEC media days the other day in his opening statement, like when he was sort of giving his state of the program address prior to taking questions, he mentioned the fact that SEC Media Day is taking place in Atlanta. They would be right back in Atlanta again very soon. So this idea that, yeah, Georgia's sort of thinking about something else beyond Oregon, uh, the fact of the matter is, based on Smart's own words from a few days ago, they have their sights set squarely on the ducks right now, this briefly from Smart going back then. 
I'd also be remiss if I didn't talk about our opening game. You know, the Chick-fil-A uh, kickoff game for us, we get to open against Oregon. I get to go against uh, a longtime friend and, and a guy that meant so much to our program and, and Dan Lanning. But we open against Oregon right here in Atlanta, and uh, we're excited for that opportunity. We get a chance to represent the SEC uh, right off the jump. So, I mean, there you go. That's your, that's your idea of somehow Oregon sneaking up on UGA, kind of going down the drain right there. Smart saying, not only are we excited about playing the game as reigning national champions coming out and, uh, and sort of uh, you know, following up on the success from a year ago, but Smart says we're also waving the flag of the SEC there that day too, perhaps a little extra motivation related to that. Now, listen, if you're a more neutral observer to all of this, a more objective person maybe, Here's what you might say in response to what I'm saying right now. Well, B.A., don't forget, Oregon snuck into Columbus, Ohio last year. Oregon snuck in uh, there, and they beat the Buckeyes in their own stadium. And I'd say, yeah, they did. That was a really big win for Oregon. I would also say that's the difference between a championship-level team, which Georgia was in 2021, and a team like Ohio State, which wasn't. They didn't make the college ball playoff. They ended up getting shoved around and stuffed into a locker by Michigan to close out the regular season there as well. And the fact that a team like Oregon can sneak into Ohio State and win in its own stadium is another example of kind of, you know, just why it is that a uh, that a program like that wasn't quite championship level in 2021, something that UGA definitely was. I've told you before, I think that not only does Georgia win the game, I've even picked Georgia's shutout Oregon there that day because of a million factors which i explained before which i won't get into in great detail now and i'm not really mad about this i just think it's interesting because all of this whether it be trevor manage thinking that somehow this pac-12 dominant oregon is going to travel 3,000 miles across the country and sneak into atlanta under the cover of darkness and pull the uh, upset against uga it's just a long list of folks who either you know, work for ESPN or the SEC Network or whatever else that somehow think that Georgia is just going to lose any number of games in the upcoming season. You had obviously the example of Trevor Manich right there talking about the Oregon game. But remember the other day when the newly minted SEC Network analyst Keo Spikes talking about the South Carolina game? This is a shorter version of that as kind of a reminder. When you look at them, they come out and they play Georgia State, then Arkansas. Of course, of course Arkansas is going to be hard. But I really got this team upset in Georgia at home oh. in Columbia. So there you go. Takeo Spike says, no, it's not Oregon that Georgia loses to. It's it's going to be South Carolina. So all of a sudden now, a, a team in Georgia, which what you know rarely loses any regular season games at all, if you believe the SEC network ESPN analyst, has already lost two games. I'm talking about before you even get out of September, Georgia's already taken two losses. They've lost to Oregon. They've lost to South Carolina. Then later on the season, the month of November, uh, Chris Doring, an SEC network analyst who we kind of like, but nonetheless, Doring went on TV. I think we've got the example here to, to share of that. He goes on TV and says on the 19th of November, he's got Kentucky knocking off Georgia, the defending national champions. So there you go. That's Chris Network on ESPN television saying all of that. So I guess the point of all this is if you were to believe the ESPN SEC Network analyst and you're a Georgia fan, hope you enjoy Tampa Bay for Christmas because you're going to the Outback Bowl or whatever it is that bowl is called now or, or, or you know the Music City Bowl or something like that. That a Georgia team that hadn't lost three games in three years doesn't seem like is suddenly going to lose you know three games this year, the year after having won a national championship. And so I guess the point I'm trying to build to is this, is that – when you hear a lot of this kind of stuff going on, I think you're left to wonder as a fan, which I am, and I'm presuming you are too. That's why you're watching or listening here today, which is, wait, is ESPN disrespecting my team? 
And I think we're sort of now getting to the point where, yeah, maybe ESPN and the SEC Network, which is essentially under the same umbrella, maybe they are kind of disrespecting UGA here. Maybe Georgia really isn't getting the credit that it deserves as a reigning national champion. Now, they're not doing this Doring, even though he's a Florida guy, and Takiyo Spikes, even though he's an Auburn guy, and Trevor Maddich, even though he's, I don't know, whatever he is. They're not doing this, I don't believe, because they hate Georgia. I think this really is just the need to create content and create attention. It's all just like pro wrestling, right? This is essentially a pro wrestling promo being cut by these analysts. But when all of these sort of hot takes move in the same direction, when they all sort of lean the same way, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you ought to get a little extra edge about the upcoming season. And frankly, I hope the Georgia coaches and players do that there as well. UGA was a party crasher a year ago. Georgia's been a big-time program with elite recruits and big following and fan base that travels across the country for a long time. There's no doubt that Georgia's been kind of a big brand in college football and done big business for quite some time. But Georgia was also supposed to be the team that was just kind of on the outside looking in. You know, second best team in the SEC, fifth best team in the country. And they were supposed to be content to wait their turn until the Saban era was done. And then maybe at that point in time, it'd be Georgia's time to shine. But Georgia didn't do that last year. Georgia jumped the line. Georgia Georgia didn't settle for crumbs off Nick Saban's table. It, frankly, you know, took his lunch money. And that can be a little hard for some people to kind of get used to, that things have actually changed pretty quickly. That that Georgia, which used to be kind of in a category of one thing, has now sort of put itself in a category of something else. And there are a lot of ESPN-type analysts who, just because of their sort of field of vision, frame of reference, are left to assume that that's not likely to last. But I think that Georgia could have a little something to say about that uh, this upcoming season. That what happened last year wasn't a one-hit wonder, as Smart has said he doesn't want to be. It's actually the start of something pretty big that could last for a good number of years. And ESPN analysts sometimes are a little slow to catch on, but we believe eventually they'll get there and they'll figure out exactly what is happening at UGA. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. Whether you're tuning in 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all kinds of video platforms, podcast, Apple, Spotify, everything else, and the show, the world famous dognation.com, posting the show there, Radio 2, Athens Sports Radio 96, The Ref. We're just really happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. And we just certainly appreciate our friends at Kroger for making it all possible there as well. A couple of things about Kroger I want to make you aware of. First of all, have you heard about the great new membership opportunity uh, that that you can get through Kroger? We've been telling you a lot about this with our with our sort of morning boost video series there at Dog Nation, which I think is a really cool thing. Uh, but also, you hear me talk about this from time to time there as well. It's more savings, it's more features, it's more benefits, it's more great options for you at Kroger with a brand new level of membership with Boost. You can enjoy free grocery delivery. You can get twice the fuel points, and that's a big deal right now, saving you money at the pump. You also get all kinds of additional special offers there as well, and enrollment is as little as $59 for the year. So go to Kroger.com Boost for a lot more on that. Kroger.com Boost for a ton more on that. Now, also be aware of this when it comes to our friends at Kroger, that we have reached the conclusion of our Kroger five-star kid nomination process. This is, I believe, your last day to get in on that and give us a nomination for your child or just a child that you know in your neighborhood, your church, something like that, why they should be a Kroger five-star kid. Now, starting next week, we're going to start announcing these winners right here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. So the email at Excuse me. The email address to send your uh, nomination to is info at dognation.com. 
That's info at dognation.com. And if your child is one of our winners, we'll select five at random. But if the child you nominate is one of our winners, they're going to win a great collection of gifts, including a set of gift cards worth $250, including a big one from Kroger, uh, as well as a Dog Nation Kroger five-star kids t-shirt. So that's really fun. That's really exciting. And uh, one more day to kind of get involved on that. So go to dognation.com, read for more details, but send us your nomination through email at info at dognation.com. And maybe next week you'll hear the child that you know announced as one of our Kroger five-star kid winners here on the program. All right, it's Jeff Sintel coming up. We're going to do some UGA recruiting stuff with him. Before that, though, I want to go briefly around the doghouse here for a moment. And I've been thinking a lot about the Georgia wide receiver position. And we talked about this with uh, our good friend Terrence Edwards yesterday about kind of his expectations on that. And this is the kind of the question that's been kind of bubbling in my mind here a little bit. Can Georgia take the next step that it wants to take? as a dominant offense with the level of receiver talent that it has right now. Many of you are aware of this. This is just a fact that there are programs such as like say Ohio State certainly and others there as well that they are recruiting the receiver position right now at a level that Georgia's kind of not. That that Georgia gets the elite five stars at almost every position group across the board. Even quarterback it it would seem that that Georgia kind of swims in pretty deep waters and on that. But the one position group where Georgia seems to kind of be in that sort of next level of, hey, try to get some four stars, also taking some high value three stars, that's the wide receiver position. So how good can receivers at Georgia be when when it comes to the fact that Georgia just doesn't recruit that position as well as it recruits other positions? And I think for year three of Todd Monk, and I think that's going to be a really one of the more interesting observations for the upcoming year. We expect the Georgia offense to be very good. Last year, statistically, it was one of the nation's best. It's not often given credit for that, but that's what it was. It was one of the very best offenses in the entire country a year ago. In fact, Georgia took some major strides forward with its passing game. Last year was probably the best passing year uh, for any Kirby Smart team since he's been here in 2016. But a lot of that was led by tight ends, especially Brock Bowers, who had a sensational year. And thus far, we have not yet seen the big breakout for Georgia, the receiver position that you'd like to see. So here is one of the things I'm looking to see for this upcoming season. My belief, or maybe it's my hope, but my my, my belief is, is that a great offensive system can make great wide receivers. Now, you'd love to have the kind of raw talent that the sort of five-star guys bring to the table, the very high four-star guys bring to the table. And there are some guys within the Georgia wide receiver room that sort of fit that bill, but a lot of the guys – aren't necessarily like that but my belief is that might be okay because of the system that they are playing in that the I'm going to use a fancier word than I probably should and goes back to my time being in school but my hypothesis here is is that it's better to have good talent in a great system than it is to have great talent in a system that's somewhat less than that and I'll give you the perfect example of this not to pick on this guy but back in 2019 James Coley's offense for Georgia I just simply don't think worked I think that that was a failed experiment with him as offensive coordinator but in 2019 he did have a great talent at the wide receiver position he had George Pickens and you know that Pickens obviously has battled injury but when he's been healthy for UGA there is no denying the talent that he's brought to the table it's one of the reasons why the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers really excited about him in the NFL he's kind of already turned some heads during uh, training camp my understanding is uh, but Pickens is a great talent 
But playing in a deficient offense in 2019, this great talent, he was only a freshman back then, but still a great talent. We've seen very talented freshmen thrive before. A great talent in a less than great offense only produced 727 receiving yards. I think that ends up being kind of an interesting benchmark here for this year. Can a Todd Munkin offense, which I do believe is a great system, I believe that Todd Munkin is unquestionably a great offensive coordinator. I really have no doubts about that whatsoever. Can a guy that I believe to be a great coach, can a guy who I believe, even though I'm not you know, X's and O's expert, but a guy that I believe runs a great offensive system, can he produce a wide receiver year this year that exceeds what George Pickens had in 2019? Because that number for Pickens in 2019 is the high watermark for a wide receiver, someone wearing the label of wide receiver. What Pickens did in 2019 was the high watermark for a receiver thus far in the smart era. But I do believe there's a chance this year that Munkin, with a lot of recruits who were rated lower, every recruit in this roster at the wide receiver position was rated lower than Pickens, but a lot of these were rated much lower than Pickens. Uh, I, I do believe this year that the great system taking good talent can actually produce the kind of year that even exceeds what a guy like Pickens had there in 2019. That's one of those things worth measuring, I believe. Can Georgia take what it has and produce big-time results with them? And if they, if it can, if Munkin can lead the way on that, then pretty soon maybe Georgia's also recruiting the receiver position as well as recruiting other uh, positions there as well. But that's the thing to watch. Can a wide receiver this year in a Todd Munkin year three offense get more yards than any previous wide receiver has gotten since March's been here in 2016? That's an interesting number to observe, I believe, as we head towards the start of the 2022 season. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Happy to welcome Jeff back from a fresh vacation on a Royal Caribbean uh, cruise vacation, which you know is always a great thing to be able to do. And uh, happy to have him here talking some George recruiting with us here. Jeff, before we're done, I want to find out about your cruise and how much you enjoyed that. And uh, that's always a, a cool thing to hear about. But we got to take care of some business before we get there because folks have been hearing a lot of online chatter as of late as it relates to really Georgia getting back to business in a big way with a recruiting weekend here. Can you give us a little bit of a preview who who's expected to be on hand and kind of what Georgia has a chance to do, both in the form of some committed guys showing back up, but also some high-value, uncommitted targets for both the 2023 and 24 classes here. Give us a little bit of a recruiting preview for the weekend, if you don't mind. Hey, man. Uh, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing great. Um, I think – you know, this is the traditional changing of the guard weekend for Georgia. That's when, um, that's when Georgia uh, basically switches gears from recruiting with the uh, recruiting with the uh, switches gears from. Got some audio problems. I don't know if I can hear you well. Um, so I can hear you. Can you not hear us? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, I think basically this is the time of year when Georgia tries to. It's kind of a passing of the baton. This is the this is the only week of the month of July which was open for visits, and it's sort of like the cookout weekend. Everybody remembers a few years ago that the West End Zone reveal. Then it was the slip and slide uh, escapades with Kirby Smart, Steve Wingo, a lot of other guys. And because next week, obviously, practice starts, the dead period kicks in. And you know, the visits are going to be on the back burner until September when the games start back up. 
So this is really a good a good weekend. And some guys are coming in on different days. Uh, Jordan Big Baby Hall was in earlier this week. Most of the commitments are coming in. Guys like Raymond Wilson, Raymond Cot- Raymond Cottrell, um, Jamal Jarrett, uh, Tory Bowl, guys like that. Um, the targets that are interesting is you've got Monroe Freeling, who looks like he's a top 70 overall offensive tackle. His mom's a huge yoga, yoga fanatic, yoga teacher. He does yoga on game days. That's the young man from Charleston area. That's about six seven and about two ninety five with a thirty inch vertical. Um, Jaden Davis, uh, really intriguing quarterback prospect out of twenty twenty four. He's going to be in town today. He's in Michigan the rest of the weekend. After that, um, you know, it's really just a chance for Georgia to kind of leave one good vibe, one good feeling uh, over the weekend with a lot of their priority recruits. I would expect to see a guy like. Tyler Williams, uh, the prize wide receiver out of South Florida. Uh, he's on into Athens this weekend. So it's really just a I – mean, I mean, Brandon, everybody's going to focus on the recruits that uh, Georgia might have missed this month. But uh, I think my calendar has them up to nine commits for the month of July. I can't remember any single month um, outside of a signing day, February or signing day, December, where Georgia had that many commits, not to mention – you know, three of the top four highest-rated commitments in the class came this month. Just a huge month overall for Georgia recruiting, including two top 100 in-state guys. I know in-state versus out-of-state recruiting for Georgia is a hot topic right now. Georgia even got two top 100 in-state offensive players, which that says a lot right there from Georgia getting in-state top 100 offensive player these days. That's kind of like getting all three lines on the slot machine. Um, but Putting all that together, that's been a huge month in July for Georgia recruiting. All right, I want to kind of quickly go through at least three of the names that you mentioned right there for three very different reasons. Obviously, Monroe Freeling's presence I think is a pretty big deal. The sense that I get, Jeff, is is this is one of those really big swing recruiting battles for Georgia during the remainder of this 2023 class. There are a lot of fans who've asked some questions about offensive line recruiting, I think to a degree, justifiably so. Freeling is one of those guys, though, that I think could change the tone of that group for this class. If you win there, if you beat out of Miami for him, uh, all of a sudden you've kind of gotten the big trophy on the wall that fans kind of want. And if somehow we're, if Freeling were to make a different decision, then you would feel a little – you just wouldn't feel very satiated by by the experience if, if, if a guy like Freeling doesn't end up in this class. Do you agree with me that he is that sort of swing-type prospect here that kind of changes the tone of the class overall and I guess maybe a little bit more of a specific uh, description of how you think things stand between him and George at the moment? Well, I think Freeling is a guy that – well, first of all, Stacey Searles goes back to his North Carolina days recruiting Freeling. I think what Freeling has wanted was a chance for Georgia to kind of lock in with him and say, dude, we want you, you're our guy. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but a lot of the offensive tackles are kind of migrating. They're choosing their spots right now. It seems like Miami's going to find about four uh, prized offensive tackles. It kind of feels like Sam Pittman 2017 uh, down there in Coral Gables. But, uh, you know, and that's another guy that um, he took a really good look at Miami as well. I think as far as the swing goes, Brandon, um, I can make no bones about it. The Whether this recruiting class takes off or whether it kind of peters off and just looks like another good third, number three, number four recruiting class. I think the swing positions got to be those receivers. 
got to be Tyler Williams. It's got to be a guy like, you know, here right now, the trail will tell you that um, Georgia is really getting back into things with Anthony Evans the third. Um, it's funny, Anthony is actually on a cruise ship right now, I believe. I don't think he's going to be uh, in Athens this weekend, but somehow that young man found a way to get in a family cruise right before football season Good starts for him. him out in Texas. Starts out in Texas, and, you know, that's the young man that, I mean, let, let's look at it for what it is, right? And I think, I think that Brian McClendon is trying to get uh, him a, a four by one hundred team in Athens to play wide receiver. I mean, once he signs with Yazid Haynes, man, Brandon, he hasn't even ran track in a couple of seasons, and he's been a he's a four three nine guy. You've got C.J. Smith a year ago. You've got Anthony Evans the third now. I mean, what Georgia wants to do is they want to line up a lot of those guys like Arian Smith and. Sooner or later, you're going to have two healthy legs and two healthy everything else uh, for those guys to get on the field and go deep for Georgia. So the other name I want to mention here, because you all brought up Tyler Williams there, who's presence this week will be interesting too but that's Jaden Davis the 2024 quarterback now this is one of those things where I'm not trying to be negative on the weekend as we head towards the weekend but when Georgia missed out on Arch Manning obviously the immediate pivot for Georgia fans was well that's okay there are a lot of elite quarterback prospects here for the 2024 class worth attention worth paying attention to and for a while there was all this chatter about Julian Sayden out of California and the best I can tell Jeff that just sort of slammed the brakes and that just seems to have stopped I don't really know why uh, maybe you could tell us, but it just sort of seems like that what existed at one point in time has kind of dissolved. And in the case of Jaden Davis, you know, it's certainly not like he's gushed about Georgia either uh, here when it comes to maybe some public remarks attributed to him. And there has been, you mentioned him visiting Michigan, there's been a little bit of online chatter connecting him to the Wolverines, it would seem, as of late. Like, what is going on here with Georgia and the 2024 recruiting class? Because you can certainly say, I mean, at quarterback in particular, which maybe it's all fine. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, but you can certainly say, well, maybe Georgia doesn't need a 23 quarterback because of all the guys that's previously signed. But Georgia definitely needs an elite quarterback for 2024, and it's sort of hard right now to evaluate where they stand with Sayin or Davis, either one. I guess Davis on campus this weekend means something, but specifically, what does it mean? Well, it's funny. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Jaden Davis recently, and you know some of the um, comments that he made will go up on DogNation.com today. But uh, Davis, to me, let's remember, Brandon. Remember the scavenger hunt way back when? I believe, it, man, it seems like such a long time ago, but that was back in May. You know who the quarterback there was that weekend for the scavenger hunt? That was Jaden Davis, hmm. and that was one of those weekends where he kind of had a lay of the land. He kind of got a feel from Georgia. And he kind of thought that Georgia was going to be set at quarterback in 2023. He, like a lot of people back then in May, was thinking, um, maybe it was late April, he was thinking, uh, you know, Manning in Georgia probably feels like a thing. And if Manning in Georgia is a thing, then he needs to look elsewhere. And now he's back at Georgia again this weekend. And, you know, he's a guy, Brandon, the ties run deep. I, I think I've been, I've seen him at Georgia games as a prospect going back to his eighth grade year georgia was the first school that offered him um he reclassified one year so he would be a 2023 guy um right now and you know he's just a guy in my sense of it all brandon is he's a guy that's wanting a school to say man be our guy you are our guy be our dude build our class because he's like a lot of guys brandon i hope people understand it is really hard being a quarterback recruit in this day and age because now you've got nil now you've got 
teams are wanting to build a class around you. You've got guys stacking up guys. I mean, at some point, you could point to two or three schools and say, that school was likely where Jaden Davis was going to end up, and then things changed. And then I think with saying, I think the things are still legitimate out there with saying he likes Georgia. He likes the pro-style fit at Georgia. The communication ratcheted up with between him and Georgia after the uh, decision made by Arch Manning. Um, and, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting, which I feel makes him a good Georgia fit, uh, that would be both Jaden Davis or um, Julian Sayan. Is I don't know if you paid attention, Brandon, but it seems like every quarterback in the state of California is getting big dollars. Their, their NIL rules, especially for high school players, are a lot different. Um, for example, somebody could give, you know, Julian Sayan, for example, is an avid enthusiast of surfing. So somebody could give him $100,000 to advertise or to endorse their surfboards or their surfboard shop. And he's still a legitimate uh, high school player. doesn't compromise his eligibility. Let's look at three huge names in the 2023 class. That's Jaden Rashada to Miami. That's Nico Iamaliva to uh, Tennessee. And then you've got Malachi Nelson to USC. Those are three kind of figureheads for the NIL movement right now in the 2023 class. And all those guys came out of California. But the really, the really cool thing they were saying is he's not about that. He doesn't think NIL is important heading into a college. He'd rather look for NFL development first. All right, I think we've lost Jeff. Uh, we'll see if we can get him back on here. But uh, interesting. Oh, man, I'm here. I'm okay, here. all right, all right. We, you're kind of going in and out on us. Uh, so uh, interesting thoughts there. I, I guess finish what you're saying about uh, Julian saying. I think we lost that last sentence or two. So wrap up that thought on saying, if you don't mind. Yeah. So so saying is a guy that you know, like what I was meaning. Everybody in the state of California, Rashad, um, I am a Leva, um, Malachi Nelson in the 20, 2023 class. These guys are all connected to some sort of collective or yeah. big NIL deal. And, you know, the worry for a lot of our readers and folks I talked to was like, Georgia's not going to get in that business. Well, talking to Stan recently, he's like, he's not looking for a huge NIL deal to kind of yellow brick road his way to college. He wants to find the best place for development first and NFL development first, and he's going to worry about all the NIL stuff once he's in college. Sure, sure. Interesting uh, thought there and good evaluation. Uh, what's Georgia getting in Yazid Haynes, the uh, wide receiver that it added this week? So, Yazid, um, you know, it's kind of funny, Brandon. I kind of wrote about this. I just want to know the, the type of athlete, and everybody's going to be counting the numbers on me here, but Georgia now has two commitments at wide receiver. That's Cottrell, Raymond Cottrell out of Florida, number 103 in the country, and now Yazid Haynes. Rivals has him as a four-star on three, and 24-7 has him as a, a three-star. But McClendon's going to try and get up to five wide receivers in this class. That would be Anthony Evans. That would be Tyler Williams. And that would be, you know, the brilliant receiver, Hakeem Williams, out of uh, South Florida as well. But, you know, what what you see here with Yazid is he is stupid fast, Brandon. And really the athleticism really – really kind of whets my appetite a little bit because 439 that's really good but he also ran a 42 short shuttle which is very good for a skill guy in the SEC but then he broad jumped 10 10 and as a means of this comparison I think Lewis Dean's broad jumps at the NFL combine were like 11 feet and 10 and 10 11 so he's right in that Lewis Dean athlete range yeah, well, that's exciting to uh, think about uh, for sure. And it certainly seems like when it comes to 
Georgia and its receiver position for this cycle, that one of the things we kind of talked about Terrence Edwards a little bit yesterday, there is that prioritization of speed here that you can look at, and Georgia's got a lot of very talented receivers on the roster right now. Uh, I don't know that speed is the defining characteristic. You would The number one defining characteristic you'd say for many of them, with the exception of probably Arian Smith and probably Chandler Smith there as well. And it, it seems like when Georgia's kind of, you know, the direction that's kind of moved for some of its receivers for this cycle, that, that speed is a much bigger part of all that. Is, isn't that fair to say? Yeah, Brandon, that's kind of been that. That's kind of probably been the mo for a lot of years for Brian McClendon. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in a name, Brandon, way back from the way back machine. But you remember the name Kyle Davis? That was when sure. uh, he was the number one receiver in the country, five star. Uh, he was out of Archer High School, and you know McClendon really never Georgia really never prioritized that guy like a lot of others. I remember Georgia prioritized a guy like out of Virginia named Grant Holloway. Who went on to be, I believe, a world champion 400-meter guy coming out of Florida, an NCAA champion, and now an Olympian. You know, BMAC just wants those guys having played the position that's going to scare the, scare the fool out of defensive coordinators and scare the fool out of defensive backs. He, won't, he, he wants guys that can put their foot in the ground and go, and that's really what you're seeing here with the entire Georgia 2023 recruiting class at receiver. Very interesting stuff. I want to ask you about uh, a couple of other issues that have been kind of popping up related to Georgia recruiting here in a moment. Before that, though, let me remind folks that we are on the road. It's by AAA with Jeff Sintel here today. And, of course, we think about AAA when it comes to legendary roadside assistance. I know that Jeff, as, as he's been traveling all summer long, has been happy to have that uh, AAA membership card right there in his wallet. But I also want you to think about AAA when it comes to your home insurance there as well, because when you get home insurance through AAA, you can qualify for their disappearing deductible. It means you can reduce your deductible of $50 for every uh, policy year that you go claim free, up to $500. It's just one of the many options offered there by AAA when it comes to great savings on your home insurance. So you can go to AAA.com slash home insurance to find out more details on this. AAA.com slash home insurance to find out more on that. You can also give them a call 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. Now, there are some terms and conditions here. You can see the website for more details on all of that. But check out AAA as a great source for your home insurance there as well. All right, Jeff, uh, another thing that's going to be kind of popped up here since you've been gone, and obviously we watched the surprising decision for uh, uh, Justice Haynes to choose Alabama over Georgia the less surprising decision for Caleb Downs to choose Alabama over Georgia. That's one of those things that had seemingly been in the works for a while. We at least knew Downs wasn't coming to UGA, whether it was Ohio State or or Alabama. But it kind of shines a little bit of a light for, and no one can dispute this, Georgia's an elite recruiting program. They are probably pound for pound, still the best recruiting program in the entire country. Certainly uh, no one greatly exceeds what UGA does on the recruiting front. And yet you can't get everybody that you want. And it seems like when Georgia hasn't gotten some of the guys that it has wanted, maybe at times those are high-profile in-state names. And the 2023 cycle is a little bit of an example of that. There are plenty of Alabama fans bragging right now for the success that Bama's having in the state of Georgia with Dylan Lonergan and Haynes and, and, and Downs. We feel like we've asked some version of this question a lot over the years, but what do you think goes on with Georgia the in-state guys, specifically the metro Atlanta area, and in this particular case, although Justice just got to Buford, specifically that sort of Gwinnett County area in particular where so many great players seem to congregate and so few of them over the years kind of go to UGA. Is this a coincidence or is there something to, to be understood about all of this? You know, Brennan, it used to be the answer back in the Rick era was it was definable. It was like, 
okay, all these other schools are getting their guys into the league. These other schools are winning the big games. Um, they're winning the national championships, and that's why Georgia's losing out on these guys. Well, Kirby Smart has completely obliterated that narrative. That doesn't make any sense anymore. So, you know, maybe it's the proximity there, how Brandon, some guys just want to get more than an hour away home from Mama so they can flap their wings and feel like a college man. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because, you know, one of the things, Brandon, I always think perspective is so important when you look at a lot of this stuff, especially recruiting perspective. Um, and let's, you know, let's do a quick, quick little exam. I think I know you're going to be good at this. Brandon, where's the highest rated commitment in Georgia's class right now from the 2023 class? What state is he from? Um, tell us, Jeff. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was, uh, I, I remind us. So the, the highest rated commitment in Georgia's class right now is AJ Harris. Perfect. Brandon, Brandon, AJ Harris is from the state of Alabama. You know, the two highest commitments in Clemson's class right now. Those two are both from the state of Alabama as well. And really, you know, give give everybody a puncher's chance out there. You know, how does Georgia settle the score with Alabama? Well, Georgia, quite potentially, is in it really heavy with two, uh, two five-stars in the state of Alabama. Man, there's a chance in the state of Alabama. They're doing so good in the state of Georgia, but there's a chance, excuse me, that you can look at Alabama's eventual 2023 class, the top prospects in the state, and Alabama might only get uh, – Auburn or Alabama might only get four of those guys. Georgia could end up with three five-stars from the state of Alabama and yet miss on you know, a guy like Downs and a guy like Haynes in the same class in their own state. Sometimes, Brandon, this is just – I would say this is a – this is triage. This is something that just affects all the top programs. I mean, sometimes the young men just want to get away, get out of get out of the state a little bit, and flap their own wings and be their own man. Um, you see – how well Alabama recruits throughout the years. And, you know, there's a chance that Jaquavius Rousseau and James Smith, that's a five-star edge and that's a five-star defensive lineman. Those two guys might come to Georgia. They're, I think Georgia's got a good chance of anybody to sign both of them. And my information still leads me to believe that those guys are certainly going to play college together. But it might even be the po- to the point where one guy's going to have, like, I don't know. It's like you and your you and your your boys on your high school team. You're trying to figure out where to go to eat, and nobody really knows where to go. But that one guy in the car is like, "Man, we're going to X. We're going here. I love it. Let's go there." And eventually, that opinion is what carries the room, and that might be what happens. That might be, you know, James Smith is the type of player. And if Rusal is really determined to go to one spot, he's like, "All right, man, I'll roll there. I'll roll there. I can make it work anywhere." That's kind of the personalities of those two guys. Where. One guy, you know, and by the way, Smith, um, seeing some film out of him this summer, Brandon, he's probably dropped 25 to 30 pounds since I saw him back in late spring. And he's right around 305 right now. He wants to get down to 295 and be a tremendous athlete and be a tremendous pocket disruptor if he can do that. I guess the greater point I'm trying to make there, Brandon, is it happens to everybody. Sometimes you lose the guys in your own home state. And in your own home state. I know some people are going, well, Hold on. Georgia just won the national championship. Georgia just had its safety developed into the first round. Georgia is RBU. All that happens, all that applies, Brandon. Sometimes you just shoot your shot. Sometimes somebody else is better, and that was the case with Alabama with both of those young men. All right, before we let you go, you just got back from a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Uh, how much did you enjoy that, and what did that tell you about the experience that you had? I tell you, you you told me this a couple of times, Brandon, but um, that private island, Choco Cay, was really something, especially with your family. 
you get to ride all those you know, drop water slides. I think they have the tallest water slide in North America. Did there. you do all that? Did yeah. you ride the tallest water slide in North America? Shoot, yeah, man. I'm, like, I'm getting my money's worth when I go on that island, man. I know you might like to hang out at the pool and listen to the DJ, man, but I'm a water slide guy, man. I'm going to hit everything I can. I like and it. And then humble my kids. And then humble my kids when they don't do it. I mean, the, the, the best part to me uh, about cruising, and my kind of whole family feels this way, is that you wake up every morning and you look out your window and you're in a new, you're in a new spot. It's like Christmas morning every day. Yeah. Like one day for us, it was Cozumel. One day for us, it was Honduras. One day for us, it was Coco Bay. One day for us, it was Costa Maya. So, like, that's really, great. that's the cool part. It's just a different trip uh, every morning you wake up. No, that's great. I think that's exactly right. And I do love uh, seeing those ports come into your field of vision as you're sailing in there. That's good stuff. Jeff, thanks for being here on the road assisted by AAA. We'll look forward to reading more from you. Uh, you mentioned a really good piece involving Jaden Davis, the 2024 quarterback, who's in town here this weekend. So good timing on that there at dognation.com. We'll look forward to reading that. And of course, hearing from you very soon on the road assisted by AAA here on Dog Nation Daily. Appreciate you, man. Good being back on your show. You too, Jeff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, really interesting stuff there from Jeff Sintel on a number of fronts as it relates to UGA recruiting and a very busy weekend coming uh, for the dogs there. This one time here in the month of July to kind of host some folks, and Georgia's not wasting any time bringing in some big names. And I do think, you know, Jeff mentioned Tyler Williams and Monroe Frilling, guys like that. You were watching very closely to kind of see how this weekend potentially impacts their college decision also fun to hear jeff talking about the uh folks at royal caribbean and it's a great time for us to go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and jeff really touches on something there with his own royal caribbean cruise vacation that i just think is so true i I do i'm a little bit of i guess a geek about stuff like this but when you are sailing into the new port i like to be outside so uh, I, i like to go be standing at the front of the ship and kind of watching that little island uh, get bigger and bigger and bigger as you sail closer to it and i just think that's kind of really fun i do really enjoy that i like the sail away thing i like to do the old school sort of wave with people on the uh on the docks and i like to sail into those ports there as well especially perfect day coco Cay because it's just beautiful and it just gets better and better and better as you get closer to it and you just kind of see the fun the excitement you're going to be able to have on that particular day it's a great thing and if you'd love to have your own royal caribbean cruise vacation make sure you check them out tcava.com that's our friends of the cruise and vacation authority we just think that having your best experience with the royal caribbean cruise vacation uh made better when you use a travel agent to help you kind of make the choice about which ship is right for you which port to sail out of you know jeff mentioned some great uh ports that he visited uh, honduras and and, and costa maya and places like that you know there are a lot of great choices for you and a lot of options and sort of deciding which option, whether it be a three or four night sailing, a seven night sailing, you know, uh, you know, big ship, a little bit smaller ship, you know, whatever kind of makes the most sense for you. A great travel agent like our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can do that for you. You can also give them a call 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. I hope you'll check them out today. All right, so uh, let's bounce through here a couple of cruiser on the SEC topics. One of the big ones, and this got a lot of attention. I was uh, kind of briefly mentioned this to some of our video on it a moment ago. That you go to bed last night, you wake up this morning, you kind of scroll through Twitter to see what people have been talking about, and everybody had been talking about the fact that Nelson, the USC commit, going to go and take the visit to Texas A&M, and obviously for now, that's all we know. This has been confirmed in a number of different places, but that's kind of all we know is that Nelson's going to be visiting Texas A&M. Now, here's what kind of 
is interesting about this, it just so happens that in the last few days, Nelson was re-ranked by ESPN to the extent that you care about the ESPN recruiting rankings at all. Frankly, I'm not sure you should. But to the extent that you do at all, Nelson was recently named their number one recruit, surpassing Arch Manning to do so, which is kind of interesting, by the way, for the Longhorn and Aggie battle that they get a chance, the Aggies, to host the quarterback now ranked ahead, at least according to ESPN, of the Texas commit, Arch Manning. But but that's kind of what we know. The newly minted, at least by one rating service, number one uh, quarterback uh, visiting uh, Texas A&M. There are reports that, that Nelson let Lincoln Riley, the USC head coach, know about his visit. This is not something that's necessarily been done in secret. So those are kind of the facts we understand them. But here is the the kind of, I guess, conjecture that people will sort of add to this. That A&M, who has been a pretty dormant program thus far in the 2023 cycle, they have not gotten a lot of big commits. Their recruiting ranking right now is not very high. Uh, the team that allegedly had spent big on NIL for the class of 2022, at least thus far, has not really opened its wallet much for the class of 2023. But when you see a guy like Nelson taking the visit to Texas A&M, along with some other big-time recruits here for this upcoming weekend, I think some people are going to say, and maybe rightly so, but nonetheless, some people are going to say it, well, this is an example of A&M finally getting involved in the NIL stuff in 2023 the way they were there in 2022. Now, the other side of this is, too, is that um, it's an example of, on the USC side, at least in the minds of some, this is the conjecture, these are the opinions, that it's another example of a program like USC kind of being, to use a Texas phrase here for a moment, all hat, no cattle when it comes to its own NIL deals that, uh, to use a different analogy, they're all sizzled, no steak. That they talk a big game, but they really have no ability to attract major recruits from an NIL standpoint because they just simply don't have the money. It's like a lot of $30,000 millionaires, the way they kind of populate Rodeo Drive and a lot of places around Los Angeles, people who own one nice outfit and strut around like they're rich when they're actually something less than that. And that's kind of what USC sort of comes across in the mind of some. There were uh, rumors recently of Jordan Addison, who supposedly transferred from Pitt to USC because of some gigantic NIL deal. That was a rumor when it first happened. And the rumor after that was that Addison was mad because he wasn't getting the money he was promised. Now, we don't know if any of this is true, but that's the conjecture that's out there. So this is the deal with the uh, Malachi Nelson news. There is the story. There are the facts. And then there is the story behind the story. We know that a big-time quarterback recruit is visiting Texas A&M, and apparently he's made it clear to his current school that he's committed to that that's what he's doing. But behind the scenes, there's all kinds of uh, rumors and whispers and innuendo about what this might mean about NIL and the role that may play in the rest of the 2023 recruiting class for Texas A&M so uh, pretty big news uh, kind of busting out there uh, a story in recruiting this week we haven't really talked about yet probably should Malik Bryant good looking linebacker uh, did choose Miami this week choosing them really maybe most prominently kind of over Florida this was a really high target for the Florida Gators and kind of not able to come up with that you know for a lot of Florida fans this has been a little bit of an echo of the as Jay, as Jeff talked about a little earlier the Jalen Rashada situation where it seemed like Florida was in a good spot there. Uh, Miami, at least according to some, kind of flexed its NIL stuff and got Rashada away from what might have been a Florida commit. And now, you know, 
with a, a Malik Bryant here, maybe another example of that kind of going down here. So this was a little bit big news earlier this week, not because he chose an SEC school, but because a big-time player chose another school with SEC teams in contention, but Bryant going the way of the Miami Hurricanes. And for Miami, it's been a really hot run here in recruiting, and you got to give him credit for that. But maybe also you kind of go back and look again at the Janela Aguero decision last Saturday that – that Miami hasn't been rejected, left to the altar very much in the 2023 class. But in the case of Aguero, he still saw things that he liked about Georgia ahead of one of the hottest teams in recruiting for this, for this current cycle when Aguero chose the dogs over the Hurricanes. Another story, and we'll finish our SEC through with this, and this is really sad. So Rick Sandage, you may remember this. This was a big-time recruiting battle that Georgia was involved with going back to class 2018. And, you know, late in the process, there was this, you know, kind of push in home visits, things like that, that George was going to maybe try to get Sandage away from South Carolina, a big time family ties that are the Gamecocks. And ultimately, this is just one of the rare examples in recent years when Georgia targeted a big time defensive lineman and either didn't get him or, you know, different people sort of say different things about what went on there. But this was a guy that had a lot of involvement with the Georgia recruiting conversation that we're a part of here and ultimately chose South Carolina. And, you know, it just kind of goes to show you that sometimes you just never really quite know how these things are going to play out on the other side of that. I guess Sandwich has been dealing with a little bit of an injury situation, and now he's kind of taking a medical sort of a medical disqualification retirement situation there from South Carolina. He put that out on social media yesterday. His football career kind of comes to an end here. So very sad news for a guy that, you know, I certainly watched and listened to, read a few of the interviews that he did back when he was a recruit. I always think he kind of came across as a pretty, you know, sharp young man and a, a, a guy that would have been easy to cheer for. Uh, really one of a string of pretty good defensive line recruiting wins that Will Muschamp had in that era for the Gamecocks. But in the case of Sandage, you know, unfortunately not really much coming from his career there. And now his football playing days are over as he medically retires there from the uh, Gamecocks. So I wanted to mention that for a guy that a lot of Georgia fans remember going back to his time as a recruit. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and here on Fridays on Dog Nation Daily one of the ways in which we like to kind of close out our week finish to our week if you don't mind we call it the big finish courtesy of our friends at the finish long drink celebrating some of you who've enjoyed the finish long drink and made that a part of your weekend plans as we get ready to finish up our week and roll into our upcoming weekend so let's do that right now the big finish here courtesy of the finish long drink we'll give some shout outs here first of all to Jay Buchanan who says of the finished long drink that he had to get his first one. Been hearing y'all go on about it ever since they uh, became a sponsor, LOL. And it sounds like Jay Buchanan's enjoying himself. Look, look, look at Jay's can right there if you're watching on video. You see how nice and cold that is? You see that little bit of condensation kind of dripping down the side there? Like Jay's can of his own finished long drink and the actual sort of fancy made-for-photo finished long drink, it looks the same. Like if you're watching on video, you see the graphic? That's like sort of like the, you know, sort of the fancy version of that to make you want to drink some finished long drink. But the can that Jay has just sitting right there on his kitchen counter looks just as good. So, Jay, hope you had a, a nice time enjoying all of that. Brian Weller says, finally got some finished long drink here in St. Louis. Thank you, and thanks to Dog Nation Daily for letting me know about it. Well, Brian, I'm glad you're enjoying that up there in St. Louis, and obviously uh, Georgia fans will see you this upcoming season with the dogs head back to Como. So we'll be there in the uh, uh, state of Missouri here coming up pretty soon, but I'm glad to see you enjoying some finished long drink in St. Louis. And our buddy Mark Morris also checks in to say, he says, I didn't think I could improve my Dog Nation daily experience with my afternoon cigar and soft drink, but lo and behold, I did find a way. So there you see Mark enjoying a cigar as he listens to our show 
with a little finished long drink. And he's got the cranberry version. Uh, Brian and Jay both enjoying the traditional grapefruit uh, flavor, but Mark's got the little cranberry version going there with the cigar as he listens to Dog Nation Daily. I got to tell you, it doesn't get much better than that. So to Brian and Mark and Jay, thanks so much for being a part of our big finish here today, presented by the Finished Long Drink. And to all of you, if you want to be like them and enjoy yourself some Finished Long Drink, you can do that by going to thelongdrink.com. Whether it's the traditional grapefruit flavor, the long drink cranberry, you want a long drink strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. The uh, finished long drink is a great choice for you. For the weekend, or really if you want to make really anything kind of like a weekend, finished long drink, a great choice on all of that. So check out thelongdrink.com, and you can find out near you where you can pick some up today. And uh, a couple of golden shoes to give out as we get ready to wrap things up. Um, and a lot of this kind of in the category of sort of rookie hazing around the NFL. A couple of great former dogs are being welcomed into the league the way that rookies have been now for going on forever. I think we have a couple of these to show. You can throw the first one up if you don't mind. Let's hear Jordan Davis sing. I think that's great from Davis, man. He is such a fun dude. I mean, honestly, to be that good at football and that sort of, you know, aggressive and physical on the field, but to sort of live life off the field the way that Davis does, that is a man in full right there. I mean, that is uh, – Jordan Davis is who I hope to be when I grow up. That is really, really good stuff. Uh, N'Kobe Dean as well, I believe, having to carry the water. Oh, and he's singing too. Oh, I didn't realize this. Good for him, and I didn't realize Nicobe Dean was doing a little singing too. So uh, he's got a nice personality there as well. So that's nice to enjoy. Uh, you can go to dognation.com. You can see more of this kind of stuff. Oh, we got one more there as well. Let's see this. Uh, another golden shoe here. Oh, Trayvon Walker, number one overall pick. Uh, I guess the car filled with packing peanuts. We've seen this prank pulled before, and you got Trayvon. Oh man, look at that. Uh, tough to tell which vehicle uh, Walker's driving there, but those packing peanuts are going to take forever to get out. Now, he's got a you know good sense of humor. I'm sure he takes all this really well, and if he just wants to buy a new car with that first number one overall pick money, he's able to do that. Uh, but that is uh, even the number one overall pick getting that rookie treatment. So fun to see these Georgia guys who were good team players while they were at UGA kind of getting acclimated to their new teams there in the NFL, and good job by our producer, Michael Carvel, for getting all that together. Let me tell you who's not having that much fun right now. No NFL guys going on to great success, just sort of living the sad life. That's those lousy, stinking Gators. 4,950 days since they've won a national championship. That's tough tough times there if you're a Gator. And the news gets no better in Jacksonville. 92 days from right now, Georgia beats them again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Thanks to all of you for being with us. On Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you back here again on Monday. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. Of course, you can turn to R.S. Andrews for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. Got a lot of great uh, comments here. A buddy Buster on Twitter at uh, uh, Buster41202 says that, I talked yesterday about the LSU game in Athens in 2004. I believe that's this is a part of the podcast, Cool Death, if I'm remembering correctly, being the most intense game that I really remember, the first like truly like, or maybe the like the best atmosphere that I remember kind of sort of coming up as a youngster around UGA. 
and he agreed that that was a good game. He also mentioned the Tennessee game in 2000. That was a big deal. That was the year that George broke a long losing streak against Tennessee, and really the fans you know, charged the field at the end of the game. You may remember that. So Buster remembering a great game in Georgia's history, going back to that 2000, or certainly a very memorable game in Georgia's history, with that game there against the Vols, in which the Dogs broke the streak, and the very next year won at Tennessee and started a winning streak of its own with the Hobnail Boo game. DC Dog checks in, because one of the things we talked about yesterday on the show was the uh, really cool letter from Eric Russell that Matt Stinchcomb had shared online. He says... In 1980, I was a junior at UGA and a sousaphone player in the Redcoat Band. Our pregame show opened by marching down the field of the east end zone. We started our pregame show. We can look up and see the reaction of the track people. The Tech game was the last game of the season, the last game for the track people. Aside from saluting the upcoming uh, UGA uh, Sugar Bowl by spelling sugar on the field instead of Georgia, we saluted the track people by turning and playing glory facing them. In the fall of 1980, the drinking age was 18, and most of the track people did partake in the spirits of the day. Those were the days. Yeah, I'd love to see this. I mean, I have to admit, I, I I did not know that the 1980 season involved um, Georgia playing without an East End Zone grandstand. I, I didn't know that until the the, the Irk Russell letter about the uh, track people. But now I kind of want to go back and watch as many of those old you know games as I can find to kind of see if I can see a glimpse of that. I mean, I guess I sort of remember you know, hearing tale of the stadium expansion after that, but I didn't really put it together the way I should. Now, I went to games for a long time uh, where the West End Zone was like high school bleachers. And I think the West End Zone expansion, well, not, not the way we think of it now, but when they first kind of closed it in, I think that took place in 91, I believe. But I went to games for a long time when that was like a collection of high school bleachers. And that was really where the visiting team sat in those sort of aluminum high school style bleachers but did not realize that the east end zone was was only completed a few years before that i didn't know that uh big dog 61 says thanks for sharing the letter i looked it up and read it it's entirely i graduated high school in 79 from a georgia high school with special ties to uga my cabin spent a lot of time there recruiting some of my teammates over the years my head coach was a former uga running back and running back coach under vince dooley his wife ann designed and patented the uh, g on the side of the georgia elements that's really cool which was later leased to the green bay packers lol when my coach passed away recently coach dooley came and did an eulogy oh that's really nice he says it invoked a lot of fond memories of that time period a period in which we didn't take ourselves so seriously and kids were allowed to the room to be kids while any national championship was special, the one in 1980 holds a special place in a lot of hearts. It wasn't supposed to happen. If you listen to most of the media, there were a lot of very talented freshmen and sophomores in the state of Georgia on that team, some of which I played with and against in high school and a very few close games that could have gone the other way. He says, Irk Russell was like a beloved deity to all of us. We heard all the pregame stories of bent lockers and bloody foreheads and emotional tirades. He was an inspiration to all of us. Coach Smart during the Florida halftime speech in 2021 was like an a- a- apparition of what Coach Russell was before that. It's a great comment. Uh, Big Dog 61, very well written, uh, really just very beautiful, um, and, a, and a great remembrance of a guy who, to this day, is certainly a, a legend around the Georgia program. Old Dog 76 says, back in the day, 1976, for away games, we'd go up on the tracks of the cooler of old Milwaukee and radio to listen to Leonard's Losers and then Larry Munson. I was there in grad school for that tech game in 1980. Great days. That's awesome, man. I wish I could go back in time uh, and experience this era that's kind of prior to me being around but y'all make it sound like it's really really fun and sometimes i'll see you know video clips or old you know tv footage or whatever else and it certainly looks that way bdw 3184 also weighing in there as well 
uh, referencing some other posts, saying they're fantastic. And it brings me back to those wondrous years I spent at UGA from the fall of 76 to the spring of 80. Then he ranks some of the things that happened. Are you aware that uh, James Brown actually in attendance live uh, uh, performance of Dooley's Junkyard Dogs? Would have loved to have seen that. The fact that Prince Charles came to a game there at Georgia. Um, the Mac attack, he says, with Kevin McLean and Willie McClendon. Um, he says the only losing season for Dooley in 77, followed by a Wonder Dogs team in 78 that included uh, Buck Ballou as a freshman, which I've heard some about there. Um, the really fun game in that 78 season. Leading into Herschel Walker coming in 1980. Of course, some great times there from Vince Dooley. Um, uh, also remembering like disco dancing at uh, B&J's Warehouse, the Mad Hatter, the fifth quarter, O'Malley's, Toga Parties. I, I got to tell you, Athens must have been a really fun place back then. So I'm happy for all those really fun remembrances of all of that. Great comments in our comment section there today. And of course, thanks for being a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Hope you all have a great weekend and check out rs andrews online if you're worried about a busted water heater or something like that ruining your weekend let rs andrews replace it for you maybe even the same day so reach out to him rsandrews.com for more on that we'll see you back here monday for dog nation daily presented by kroger we will look forward to speaking to you then